strategy I've traded for uh, just about 10 years now. Um, it's actually been a strategy that people have been using for decades. There's really no secret about the fact that uh, stocks with uh, rapid earnings growth each year tend to be the big winners year in and year out. Uh, the three things I really look for uh, with this strategy are companies that are growing earnings very rapidly. They're also outperforming the overall market. Uh, and I buy them only when they break out of sound basing patterns. Um, as I said, this sort of strategy is nothing new. It's been around for decades and decades. Uh, my grandfather traded this strategy beginning in 1911. Of course, he didn't use charts or some of the things we use today, but the basic principles of what he used, which is basically buying high-growth companies in cutting-edge industries with exploding growth um, and buying those stocks as they hit new highs in price is, is one, as I said, that's been used for decades. Uh, in 1962, William Jyler wrote a book called How Charts Can Help You in the Stock Market. Uh, 63, Nicholas Darvis wrote a book called How, to Make, or How I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market, which is a great book. That, it's amazing how these people back in the early 60s used the same types of charts that you see uh, month in and month out uh, among whatever cycle we're in, the current leaders of that cycle. Of course, Bill O'Neill put this sort of strategy on the map in front of the world when he came out with his book in 1988 called How to Make Money in Stocks. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be in contact with a number of very successful traders, and these people not only trade uh, the intermediate term trend, but also they're, they're day traders and swing traders. The very first three questions I always ask of these people are how do you get into a position, how do you get out, and what money management principles do you use? I don't really care what software they use. I don't care what brokerage account they use. I don't really care if they use direct ECN access or not. So I'm going to move into our discussion today of how I trade the intermediate term trend. And I'm basically going to look at those three items, my buy criteria, my sell criteria, uh, what I look at in terms of money management. And I'm also going to go over a little bit of how I look at the general market. When I look at buying stocks, uh, I'm really looking at three criteria. Years ago, I started looking at a number of criteria, and over time, I kind of whittled that number down to, to these three. The first is earnings growth. Some of us know in the real estate market that there are three primary factors that influence the relative value of one property versus another. The first factor is location, the second factor is location, and the third factor is location. In the stock market, it's pretty much the same thing. We're talking about three things, earnings, earnings, and earnings. So the very first thing I look at is I want to see a company show 30% or more earnings growth in the next two fiscal years. Uh, some people look at past earnings growth. I personally prefer to look at the next one to two fiscal years estimates that Wall Street analysts are expecting the company to earn. The market's a discounting mechanism. It doesn't really care what happened yesterday or today. It's really just interested in what's going to happen in the next 6 to 9 to 12 months. That's why I focus on what Wall Street expects the firm to earn the next uh, 1 to 2 fiscal years. Now, my minimum criteria on this is 30%, but I'm really looking for 40% or more. And the more, the better. 50%, 70%, 90%, 100% or more is, are really the types of stocks that turn out to be the big winners year in and year out. 
The second thing I look at is uh, I, want to, I want to see that the stock has been outperforming the market over the past eight weeks at least. Now, when I'm, you know, most of the stocks I look at are technology stocks. These stocks are in rapidly growing industries. The chief executive officers and senior managements of these companies, they don't even know themselves from one month or one quarter to the next what the next fiscal year's earnings are going to look like. These companies are in tremendously fast growth cycles. They can't really oftentimes pinpoint where their growth is going to be exactly. And if they can't, you can't really expect Wall Street to pinpoint it either. So I don't just look at that first criteria and say, oh, okay, a stock's supposed to grow 40% over the next two years, I'm going to go buy it. I have to see that the stock's been outperforming the S&P 500 index over the last eight weeks at least. Now, sometimes I'll look at a stock when it's just been outperforming, say, three to four weeks. If everything else sets up, I am going to bend some of my rules here. The fact that the market likes the stock based on this high relative strength over the last eight weeks tells me that there's something to the story and it also corroborates what the analysts are estimating on the stock. The third thing I look at in terms of buy criteria is the chart pattern. The chart pattern to me is probably 75% of the whole game. Specifically what I want to see is a stock emerge from a base building pattern of at least six to eight weeks. A base is just a somewhat fancy term for some sort of sideways movement that the stock has made after it's either come, come up off in advance and maybe it's taking a break and it goes sideways for a while, or perhaps it's come way down off a decline like a lot of tech stocks have done recently. You want to see the stock come up you know, close to where its prior high was, and I want to buy that stock as soon as it hits new high ground, as long as the volume confirms that a lot of people are interested at that breakout point. The breakout point then would be right where the top of the basing period is. Um, so if we're looking at, it, at an eight-week base um, and the top of the base is, say, $50 and the bottom of the base is 40 I want to buy that stock when it moves right into new high ground above 50 So I'll be buying the stock at 50 and an eighth or 50 and a quarter. On that breakout day, I want to see volume expand so that by the end of the day, volume is 50% greater than the 50-day average volume of the stock. The average daily volume is 500,000 shares. By the end of that day, I want to see that day's volume be at least 750,000 or more. Now, sometimes you're in the middle of a day, a stock's breaking out, say you're halfway through the day, you don't really know if the day is going to end up being with you know, an over 50% uh, increase over the average daily volume. So what I do is I just sort of interpolate. If the average daily volume is 500,000 shares in a stock and we're halfway through the day and it's already trading at 400,000, I simply double the 400,000 and I expect that by the end of the day it's going to be at 800,000, which would be 60% above the average daily volume of 500,000. This is just sort of a rough benchmark that's the best you have to go on if you're in the middle of the day. Um, let me show you a few, a few chart patterns here. I'm really going to show you two types of chart patterns today. Um, they're the ones that I tend to trade the most. The first is, uh, it goes by a lot of different names. Some people call it a saucer or a cup. Uh, Bill Giler in his 1962 book called it a saucer and platform. Bill O'Neill called it a cup and handle in his 1988 book. Uh, this is a, a stock, Insight Pharmaceutical. Uh, 
you notice up here, up here in the upper left corner, you see the company was losing money. Now, if if you only looked at, at stocks that were making money, you would have completely shied away from a lot of the big internet winners of 98 and 99. So when we get whole group moves uh, in, in companies that are showing no earnings at all, I will deviate from my earnings criteria by looking at sequential revenue growth. That means I will compare, say, quarter two's uh, growth in revenues only, since there are no earnings, versus quarter one's revenues. For example, in quarter one, if a company earned 50, or had revenues of 15 million in quarter two, the revenues were 20 million, that's a 33% sequential in, increase in revenues. I, I'm not interested in comparing revenues from one quarter to the prior year's same quarter, because these companies are too young, they're growing too quickly. Uh, I really wanted to see what happens from one quarter to the next. What I've found is that in the 99 explosion, and even the 98 explosion, the companies that were leading the market showed sequential revenue growth of at least 25% from one quarter to the next. I mean, this is torrid, torrid growth. So some groups, for example, the biotechs, don't even have any revenues to speak of. There's no revenue growth. They're all in research and development phases. In that situation, I'm going to just look at the chart pattern. If a whole group is making that kind of move, if it's one stock here or there and it has no revenue growth or no earnings growth, I will ignore it, even though the chart looks great. But if it's part of a whole group, such as we saw the, the biotechs, uh, biotechs made a big run late last year. Uh, they were all forming similar patterns at exactly the same time. When you get that sort of whole group confirmation, uh, I will ignore earnings and revenues and just trade off the chart. So in this case, we have insight. Uh, you can see it lost money. However, a lot of these stocks were forming this big cup pattern here. You see the cup coming up, and then you see uh, what, what we might call a platform or a handle right here. And in this particular pattern, you, the buy point again is one-eighth of a point or one-quarter of a point above the top of this little handle. Now, On the breakout day, as I said, you really want to see some powerful volume. This is a great example, which is why I used it, of the exact volume you want to see. This volume bar is way above the volume that occurred for months and months, for say three months or so before the breakout. There's no coincidence that this big volume came in just as the stock made a new high. A lot of people are looking at these chart patterns. Institutions uh, are not dummies. They're looking at the same patterns. They've been looking at patterns like this for decades. Um, this is the exact kind of volume you want to see on a breakout. If you see a breakout and you don't see this kind of volume, you should really be suspicious of whether it's going to have the necessary follow-through to, to bring it out into new highs and, and roll up a big gain. Okay, then. Here's what the stock did. Here's the buy point I just showed you a little, little while ago. Uh, here's the relative strength line. This is an indicator I always look at. It's, it's one of my three indicators I mentioned. Uh, it's kind of hard to see here, but it did have an upward slant to the relative strength line for at least, looks like, four, five, six weeks before the breakout. And as you can see, the stock made a 325% gain four weeks from that point. Okay, the next... The next example of the same uh, sort of cup, uh, cup pattern is uh, Nokia. 
you can see up here the growth uh, over the next two years. We're expected to be 29% and 21%. Uh, notice the PE was already 1.4 times the S&P. Uh, most investors, I think, are scared to buy high PE stocks. I love high PE stocks. These are the stocks that have the most ex expectations built into the price. These are the stocks that, for some reason, everybody wants to own. Those are the stocks that make the biggest moves year after year. It's not the low PE stocks at all. Again, the relative strength line going up for 10 weeks or so, showing right before the breakout, showing you that people want this stock more than they want the average S&P 500 stock. And you can see on the breakout day, I've put a little arrow there to show you that there was heavy volume coming through the handle. Uh, okay. And here's, this shows what happened after the, after the stock broke out. Now, I want to make something clear. These patterns do not always work. Uh, a lot of times they don't, particularly when you're in a skitsy market, <clears throat> excuse me, like we've been in this last year. When we're in a good market, these are the patterns, though, that do produce the big winners year in and year out. These patterns, they don't work all the time, but if you combine them with sound money management principles, i.e., cutting your loss if you're wrong. I have a, a pretty religious uh, loss-cutting policy whereby I'm out of a position if it drops 5 to 7% below my buy point. I don't care why the stock dropped. I don't care why I made a mistake. I raise my hand. I admit my mistake. I admit my mistake. I sell the position, and I don't even go on one of the news wires and find out if there was a bad earnings report or did an analyst downgrade the stock. It doesn't matter to me. It's meaningless. There are a lot of other opportunities out there. I never get wedded to a particular stock. Okay. Here's AOL. Uh, this is sort of a variation on that cut pattern. Um, it looks sort of a, like a W. Uh, it's, it's known as a double bottom pattern. Um, has the same basic uh, formation, though, as a, as a cup or a saucer. Um, you can see up here, the reason I was attracted to the stock initially was uh, 99 estimated earnings growth was going to be 90, 91%. Uh, you also see the PE was 189, which would have scared away a lot of people. In fact, we all remember how many people were uh, dissing the Internet group in 1998, even in 97, and certainly in early 99 before they topped. Um, I was buying these stocks. I wasn't afraid of buying these at all. We have the, oh, Dan, just go back one, yeah. We have, uh, yeah, we have the high, I'm just pointing out the, the rising relative strength line before the breakout. Um, you, you ultimately, you ideally want to see the volume and the handle dry up. That indicates after this big advance, the stock went from 11 to 19, that indicates that when it came back down here on lower volume, that there was very little profit taking. If the volume dries up in a pullback, that's bullish for the overall look of the stock. If the volume was to really soar when the stock pulls back in the handle, I would be very concerned and might not even buy the stock if it broke out of the, the handle after that. Um, as you can see down here, we've got the high volume confirming the breakout down. And this shows you where the stock went while everybody else was saying how ridiculously overvalued it was. Okay, uh, this is another stock, Rare Medium. Again, has the exact same uh, big saucer pattern. Has the handle. It's kind of hard to see because the light's on it, but down here you'll notice that uh, volume did dry up pretty dramatically in the handle, which is exactly what you want to see. 
Um, notice uh, I didn't put any earnings up here because there were none for the company. This was a situation where there were no earnings, but the revenue growth from one quarter to the next was phenomenal. I mean, this is like 100% from one quarter to the next, and then 117% the next quarter. So we have the, high, the rising relative strength line, and the stock broke out, looks like, on pretty good volume, confirming the fact that a lot of, a lot of people with money were out there interested in owning that stock. And here's what happened in the, in the several weeks after that breakout. Okay, this is a company, Ask Jeeves. Uh, this is one that I bought myself right at this, uh, as it came out of this uh, uh, saucer and handle formation. The buy point, again, was not necessarily above the top of the base, but when you have a situation where you've got a, a saucer with a handle, you want the buy point to be right directly above the top of the handle. So the handle comes down, again, we're looking at the volume, and it does dry up nicely on the pullback, indicating very few people are taking profits after this, this big run-up. Uh, it started, well, one reason why I was attracted to this stock is that the market was uh, very iffy at that time, and this stock was completely standing out like a sore thumb. It was like screaming, you know, give me attention, people. And so I, I was attracted to this. I think I bought it right around 70 when it broke out. Uh, came up on the big volume day. And then notice how it pulled back again. And look at the volume. The volume dried up again. That indicated that none of the people that got in down here really were interested in getting out of their position and locking in quick profits. So that was very nice. Now, when the stock broke out of this little six-day sideways consolidation, I actually added to my position um, it did so on some volume. I felt good about the stock, so I added another half position to my original position. And the stock pulled, the stock moved up to here and dropped, when it dropped down to about 102, I sold my whole position. I didn't, at that point, of course, I didn't know it was going to do this. Uh, but that's what happened. Selling to nail down a profit is by far your toughest decision. It's much tougher than the buy decision. It's much tougher than the sell to cut a loss at 5 to 7% decision. Here's another one, eSpeed. Uh, you can see it was a new, it was an IPO just uh, six, seven weeks right before uh, it broke out of this base. Uh, here's another cup. Here's a little pivot, the platform or handle. And you can see the breakout again is occurring on, on big volume compared to other days. And you can also see in this handle area, volume does dry up dramatically. Again, that's very bullish. Here's a company, Red Hat, you might, some of you might remember this, uh, did not earn any money up to this point, but I was attracted to the stock because it had a great pattern and because it had this big sequential revenue growth. So you, again, you have the same pattern, it's, it's got the cup, it's got the small handle, and the breakout again is on big volume. And look at how the volume again, once again, it dries up in that handle, telling you profit taking is pretty minimal up to that point. The breakout comes on volume, and you've also got, this is a, a, a decent rel rising relative strength line. It's only really been rising for four weeks, but I think I mentioned that I will bend my rules uh, pretty regularly if, if the conditions warrant. Uh, another one, research in motion, same kind of pattern. Uh, this company had big earnings growth expected, the rising relative strength line of only a few weeks, uh, and here's the breakout. 
I liked this pattern, even though the relative strength wasn't particularly strong on this. Uh, I liked it because a lot of other stocks were going through a correction at that point in time. This is another stock that was kind of like announcing to the world in its own little way that it was ready to move higher. Again, the buy point would be just one-eighth or one-quarter point above this little uh, handle area. The next type of base I'm going to go over here is what some people call a flat base uh, or a straight base. In general, you want to see these things form over at least five to six weeks. The longer, the better. Uh, pretty much you're just looking for a sideways consolidation pattern. It generally occurs after a big up move or a substantial up move of at least you know, 20, 30, 40 percent. Stock has a big move and then it just needs to digest that move before it attempts another move and so it moves back and forth in a sideways range like this. Generally, I like to see uh, this type of a base hold within say 20 percent peak to trough. So, for example, this area from the top of the base to the bottom, I don't really want to see at like 40%. That's too sloppy for me. The tighter, the better. Uh, as you can see, we have a very nice upward sloping relative strength line. Uh, and you can see while it's forming the base, the volume is not really picking up dramatically, showing you that the profit taking up to that point is pretty minimal. You can see the breakout here above the base came on pretty big volume. Uh, this particular situation, the stock broke out, the market wasn't right then, and so it failed and came back a little bit below the top of the base. If you're using a 5 to 7% stop loss level, you probably would have stayed in the stock. Um, but this is exactly what's been happening all this year. Stocks set up with bases, they break out and they fail. In a normal market, in a good uptrending market, these patterns are going to work much more often than not. It's just when you've got an overall general market that's been weak like we've been in, uh, which we're still in despite yesterday's update, uh, you're not going to see many of these things really uh, follow through with big gains. Okay, and you can see what happened to the stock after, after the breakout point. Just went on higher, Dan. Okay, Oracle. This is a great example of what I just spoke about. Okay, it formed this flat base, had nice upward sloping RS line. Notice the PE was already 1.5 times the S&P, so some people were afraid to buy it for that reason alone. Notice what it did. It broke out of the sideways base, but it didn't really follow through like the other charts. It ended up, going, it ended up building a second sideways base pretty much on top of the first one. When you see this happen in a generally weak market, like the type we're in right now, this is a great indication that this stock's going to be a future big winner. You can, see, you can see the relative strength line right like this. And if you recall, late last year, this was a pretty weak market, September and October. We really didn't get going until, uh, until October 28th or so on the NASDAQ. So this situation where you see a base break out and form another base right on top of it in a weak market only is a great indicator that this is going to be a future big winner. So if you bought here, notice that the stock came back down to the top of the base. Perhaps you stayed in the stock because the prior base served as support, and then you see the breakout again. Uh, maybe you added to your position right here. Big volume accompanied both breakouts, this day and this day both.
This is what happened to the stock right after the breakout. Yeah. Okay. Same sort of flat base uh, pattern with uh, MRV Communications. Uh, had huge earnings growth expected of 400%. It had an upward sloping relative strength line that's kind of hard to see because we're not looking at the chart over here. I, I purposely out highlighted these uh, pullbacks. Every single pullback, if you notice down here in the volume, notice how volume dries up. If there's one thing I would like to leave all of you with today is the importance of volume in, in classic chart analysis. It is extremely valuable knowing where the demand and the supply can come into a stock's uh, supply-demand type uh, quotient or, or interaction. Dan? Here's another, situ another flat base. Um, I don't recommend this until you become more advanced with this type of strategy, if this is the strategy that you choose to try to follow. But I always like to, in situations like this, if I, if I feel very good about the stock, I might cheat and instead of buying the stock up here at the top of this base where the arrow is pointing, I might try to cheat and buy right above a little high, like a short-term high area within this overall uh, flat base structure. Just to get a little bit of a head start, I'll take a smaller size position. If I'm wrong, I'm not going to lose a whole lot. If I'm right, it gets me in on what I think is going to be a big winner early. And then I can always add on to the position when it formally breaks out of the top of the base here. Okay, here's, here's VeriSign, which if you would have bought coming out of the base, you got faked out. You would have bought here, you would have gotten easily stopped out with uh, with your 5 to 7% stop loss level, which is what I usually use. Um, however, it looked like a real good stock at this time. The relative strength line showed that it was outperforming the market. I would have bought the stock again here if I still had faith that the overall market was in a good uptrend at that point. And this is what happened. Now notice up here it tries to form another flat base, but it's very loose and sloppy, and certainly more than the 20% level that I just told you I like to look at from top to bottom. So this is something, even though it did break out on big volume here, uh, I probably would have avoided. Here's Dell Computer, another flat base uh, scenario, Dan. And you can see what happened to Dell, uh, moving all the way up here. Here's another stock back from uh, 19, looks like 1990. Uh, by the way, a lot of these, you might notice a lot of these prices are pretty ridiculous uh, for these stocks. They look pretty low, and that's just because I'm coming back and building these charts, you know, 10 years later, and I didn't adjust for any stock splits. But the, obviously the chart and the concept is the same. Um, again, flat base, big volume on the breakout. Notice how it, the first few days right after the breakout, look at how volume dries up again. One thing I do every time I look at a chart that I'm going to buy is I look at the price and the volume bars within that base. I want to look at the big volume bars in the base and see if they correlate with uh, rises in price for that day. That tells me that big institutional money is accumulating that stock. And it's the big boys with the big bucks that really control the market. It's really not small investors like us. Okay, I'm going to get into selling right now. Selling, uh, there's, there's really, there are really two decisions on when to sell. One is if you're wrong. I always limit my loss at 5 to 
On my quote machine, if a stock drops 7% and I'm not already out, uh, I'm alerted by my, the alert that I set on the machine and I immediately get out of the position. As I said, I'm interested in cutting my losses, preserving my capital so that I can come back and play the game again. Unfortunately, I spoke to one of our members who used big size positions in his account recently and he might have cut his losses short, but because they were big positions, they added up and uh, you know, he absorbed a big dent in his account. You, Rule number one is when you're wrong, you admit it in this game, you walk away. Whether you're an option trader, futures trader, swing trader, day trader, or intermediate term trader, I, I've never met one successful trader who did not raise his hand and say, guess what, I'm wrong, I'm going to sell, I'm going to walk away, I'm going to preserve my capital. You absolutely have to do that if you're going to survive and play the game again and again. No, Dan, go back to the, the first one. Um, I'm going to show you a few different situations of when I would be inclined to sell. At some point you're going to be involved in a stock that makes a climax run. Um, it's going to be very exciting to you. You're going to, you're going to kind of be jumping up and down while this is happening. But when that happens, you have to start to look at when you're going to get out of that thing and not expect that it's going to go to the moon. I want to leave you with two ideas here today on how to handle a climax top, because there's really no way that it's going to work correctly all the time. The first thing you always want to look for, well, first of all, when we, when we look at this particular situation, this is Commerce One, uh, the internet stock, you always want to look at, when you see a, a wide range bar like this, this is an alert signal to you that perhaps the stock is moving into a climax run-up. Everybody, when you see that and you look down here at this huge volume bar versus all the volume bars prior to that point, I mean, it is so heavy, it's telling you that everybody's found out about the stock at that point. So we see the first big volume bar and what I always do is when a stock gets into a climactic run and it comes off, 15% from the peak, I'm usually out of the stock at that point. Um, sometimes I'll even cut it to 12%. Um, this rule alone has saved me a lot of money on these things, because usually these things will not pull back by much more than 15 or 20% and then go again and run up another 50% in your face. Usually that will not happen. Um, the second thing I want to leave you with on this the first thing again was you might consider selling when it drops 15% off its absolute intraday peak. The second thing I will leave you with is when you see a first day of distribution off the top, often that, that day tends to be the high for the move. When I say day of distribution, I'm referring to simply a day in which volume is higher than the prior day's volume and stock closes down for the day. It can close down by one-eighth or it can close down by 40 points. <clears throat> In this situation, your first distribution, you have no distribution days up here. Your first distribution day is this day. Notice the volume is higher than the day before. The stock opened right here, went all the way up, and everybody sold into that move and it closed down at its low, very bearish for the stock. Um, if the stock did not drop by 15%, setting off my rule number one, I certainly would think of selling at the end of that day because it was the first day of distribution. Okay, Dan. Okay, the second day. Okay, this is, this is a situation, again, uh, with M-Clone Systems. This was uh, one of the big biotech runners. 
of early, of early this year when the whole group made a big move. Here's your, okay, so the stock, let's say you were to buy out of a breakout of this cup pattern, or perhaps you used this as a, as a launch area to initiate a position here, and you held on and it runs up. Here's your first big wide range bar day. This is, again, an alert signal to you, not to get too excited, but to think that maybe it's time that you gotta start plotting when you're gonna get out of this thing. So here's your first big uh, wide range price bar. Your first distribution day, though, doesn't occur until right here with the red bar, or the red arrow. This, again, is your first distribution day because it's the first, dis it's the first day in which volume increased from the day before and price closed down. That's a call to distribution day. Again, it, it caught this particular move pretty well. You would have been out at the end of this day. Here's a stock called uh, Metarex. Uh, something is definitely going on with, with the stock when you see this type of wide range bar here. Uh, of course, this is ridiculous. Uh, such a big move that this, this kind of move can't really be sustained. This is usually gonna lead to some sort of climax in the next several days or week. Uh, in this case, again, you're waiting. Here's, here's the peak, it did not come down off the peak by 15%, so you're still in the stock. And here's your first distribution day right here, which would have been a trigger to me to sell. Some traders I know that are very successful like to sell as a stock is rising higher. I've always been the kind of person I just like to see some proof that some kind of high has been made, and to me, that is either watching a stock come down 15% off its intraday peak, or in some cases 12%, or seeing this distribution day. Okay, here's another climax top in Myriad. Um, you know, Dan, I'm gonna move to the next because I wanna make sure we see all these. Um, Here's a climax top. Whenever you see a situation in which volume is so ridiculous compared to all the days before it, you want to get suspicious, particularly when you see a gap open like, like this one right here. Uh, this was a stock that, that obviously gapped open. This is known as an exhaustion gap, which you can learn more about in any textbook on technical analysis. Um, notice that, notice that this, this down day here is not a distribution day because volume did not rise from the prior day. However, stock, the stock did drop 15% off its high, and I would have sold it probably this day or this day, whenever, whichever was 15% off the peak, Dan. Okay, let, let's just go on to the next, so we can do the next. Now, here's, here's Amazon. Let, let's go back. Yeah, here's Amazon. Um, again, here's your gap open. or Yeah, your gap open here. Another gap open here. Um, look, here's your alert bar right here. The volume is so great that you have to really start to think that this thing's getting too known by the world for its own good and it eventually might be putting in some kind of a top. Um, in this situation, you wanted to sell right here. It was 15% off its high. You didn't see the distribution day yet, but the 15% off its high trigger was enough. Dan, go to the next one. Okay. The first thing I'm looking for to sell then is if I'm in a climax top situation like I just showed. The second situation is if you get a stock break out of a base and fail immediately after the breakout. That's a very good sign something's wrong with the stock or something could be wrong with the whole market in general. This has been the story with the NASDAQ market in the year 2000. 
stocks had some stocks had pretty good looking patterns, pretty good looking base patterns. They broke out on big volume. Uh, I would buy these along with everybody I know that's successful trading this strategy, and we would get stopped out every single time. Um, you can't let this happen too much to you because you might think, well, it's only five to seven percent of each position, but over a period of months, if we're in a bear market like we've been in, these little uh, five and seven percent losses can add up in your account. So in this situation, here was your here was your saucer or cup pattern. Notice how the this handle is not even a it, it's not a handle like you would normally see on a regular coffee cup, for example. If you went down to the store, your spouse asked you to go down to the store and buy a coffee cup, and you return with this, your spouse might kind of wonder how she, how they were gonna gonna hang on to it. So this is very faulty. This is an alert signal right here. When you see an upwardly uh, wedging handle like this, this is danger. And even though it breaks out on good volume, right, on this day here, look at how big the volume is, I would have avoided that stock. Usually these things break out and might look impressive for a couple days, but people sell into that move and they usually just break right down. So this is the first example of the way a stock can pop on a breakout failure from a base. It tries to break out for whatever reason, it comes down, that to me is, is Danger. That's the science top. Okay. Here's another situation. Company called Razorfish. Here's your here's your uh, saucer pattern. Here's your handle. It broke out. Notice how it couldn't really follow through. And as soon as it broke below this 45 line here, which was the top of your base, uh, it just you know everybody looks at these same breakout points, and a lot of people obviously were selling at that point, and the top was in. Okay, same thing with Microsoft. Flat base, broke out, volume was, was you know, decent. Couldn't hold the, the breakout, failed. There's a major top. It's the exact same situation. Here's your saucer pattern. Here's your little handle. Here's your breakout. It came right back to your pivot point, so perhaps it didn't shake you out then. But then when it came up, uh, you saw these days of uh, of distribution and the stock eventually broke down. Notice every every time the stock tried to rally here and here, if you notice the volume again is telling you there's no demand for the stock at that price. You notice it, it shrinks in, on this little rally and also on this one. And if you look at the NASDAQ composite since it topped uh, March 10th, you will see a series of, of wedging action on the part of the index as every time it tried to rally up you saw volume just dry up and that, that was a great sign to me at the time that the market was not ready to run when you see when you see volume just dry up on rallies in a downtrend that's that's really death so this is another example of how volume it can be extremely important in keeping you on the sidelines uh in a in a in an iffy market Okay, same thing. This company, JNI Corp, broke out. Here's your big, big cup. Here's your little handle. Breakout, failed. That was a top. We'll go to the next one. The next one, yeah. Okay, I just explained what wedging is all about. That refers to a stock rising on lower volume. Uh, common sense tells you that if volume dries up as a stock moves up, uh, here's your volume dry up. 
Common sense tells you that as the stock moves up on lower and lower volume, it's losing demand for the stock. People are not interested in buying the stock as it moves higher. Usually that's a sign the stock's going to top. That's something right there that I would be very concerned with if that was a stock that I held. Yeah. Okay. Same exact thing. Um, look at this. The stock breaks out of a little three-week consolidation here, which, by the way, I would not have bought because I don't look at bases that are less than uh, five to six weeks in duration, usually. Not always, but usually. Um, look at the stock. Runs up here, but look at volume. It's just getting lower and lower, and eventually you get in this real choppy, volatile situation, which led to a top. Um, again, stock rises as volume dries up. That's a top. This recently happened in SDLI. Okay. I think I might have pointed this out in my Martyr in the Market column on TradingMarkets.com when this was going on. Uh, Corning, notice there were only a few days of, of drying up volume, but the stock tried to retest its high at point A here. There was no demand for the stock up here. How do I know that? Because I looked at volume and it was drying up for several days in a row and with no demand, when a stock's near its old high, a lot of times it's going to just roll over and kind of die for a while. Okay, same thing happened with Dell. This looks like it's back in uh, 1995. Stock came up out of a little, I wouldn't have, this certainly was not a constructive uh, cup pattern. It's just, it's too sharp and too, it's too much of a V. V patterns that come out are very unproductive from the standpoint of an intermediate term trader. They generally don't have, they didn't shake out enough doubting Thomases down here, which is what you need to have when a stock moves up. You have to have a lot of people that are, uh, you know, real worried about the stock. But this was just too quick. It just went down and went right back up. But anyways, you can see it. It makes a, a new high here, comes back, and then tries to come up here and make another new high, and the volume wasn't there telling you that the, the demand wasn't there, and sure enough, the stock rolled over after that. Yeah. And the same thing, another situation with Dell doing the exact same thing, lower volume. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about the general market, how I look at the general market. Um, Bill O'Neill came up with a very valuable uh, concept that he calls the Policy Day concept, which I am not going to talk about today. If you're interested in knowing more about that, I suggest you read his book, How to Make Money in Stocks, and also go to his website, investors.com. Uh, what I like to do, though, I, I use Bill O'Neill's follow-through day technique. I also like to count the number of days in which price rises when volume's higher than the prior day versus the days when price falls versus uh, when volume is rising from the prior day. So I'm basically looking... Down here, I've outlined every single day in which volume rose from the day before. And when price rises on that day, I put a green arrow up here and down here. And when price falls on that day, I put a red arrow. This, to me, is probably the best indication of what big institutional money is doing. It's not scientific. Um, it's very subjective. But I have found that, that it, just by looking at this indicator alone, I am usually on the right side of the market when I try to look at a a general market uh, index like this. So in this situation, you can see the Dow tops here, a lot more red arrows indicating these are distribution days on the way down. Uh, very few green arrows. 
and then down here you notice the situation changes and you, you all of a sudden start seeing your, your red arrows or your distribution days sort of evaporate and being replaced by more uh, accumulation days, which are the green arrow days when price rises on a rise in volume from the prior day. So what I do is I want to see an index make a higher high and a higher low before I start to get too excited about the fact that, gee, maybe this is a bottom and we might be headed higher here. That's step number one. Step number two, I'm doing what I just explained here. I'm looking at the number of accumulation days versus distribution days. And when the balance of power starts to switch over to accumulation days uh, and you start to see an index putting in higher high, a higher high and a higher low, for example, right here is your, your bottom. Here's a high, here's a low, here's a higher low, here's a higher high. An uptrend is simply higher highs and higher lows. Very basic. A downtrend is lower highs and lower lows. 